Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical, underage sale prohibited. Introducing Zone Nicotine Pouches, the perfect balance of unparalleled comfort, longer-lasting flavor, and nicotine that satisfies. Whether you're zoning in during the race or zoning out after a tough day at work, Zone gets you there faster and keeps you there longer. Available in seven flavors and in six and nine milligram strengths. Find Zone at zonepouches.com and retailers near you. Own your Zone with Zone Nicotine Pouches. Silence is golden, especially when it comes to brakes. That's why Napa Silent Guard are built to be one of the smoothest and most quiet brakes on the market. Made with fiber-reinforced shins that eliminate noise for the life of the pad, rubber-coated hardware for a better fit, and quality design that meets and exceeds OE performance. Silent Guard brakes deliver the stopping power drivers demand. Available now at Napa locations nationwide. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live. And when he comes off of turn number four, this time he is going to see the white flag one more lap here at the Homestead Miami Speedway. A dominating performance by Kyle Larson. All he needs to do is close it out as he heads to one. One more flexing of the muscles for Kyle Larson and the Valvoline Chevrolet. He's got the big lead in hand. No traffic ahead. Final time off turn two. Kyle Larson with those Valvoline sails in the wind. Comes up the back straightaway for the final time. Not being challenged. He'll dial up the outside line if it gets the safer barrier. Looking for the checkered flag as Ty Dillon spins it for. Ty Dillon goes all the way down to the grass right in front of the race leader, Kyle Larson, who gets through the smoke. Checkered flag is in the air, and Kyle Larson wins the Dixie Vodka 400 at Homestead Miami Speedway. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. From the MRN Studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live here on the Motor Racing Network. Mike Bagley and the entire MRN crew here with you as we get set for race two in the round of eight coming up this weekend at the Homestead Miami Speedway. Now, that's for the Cup Series and the Xfinity Series. It's going to be the final race in the round of eight for the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. All three of NASCAR's top series in play this weekend at Homestead. Weather's going to be beautiful. Can't wait to get to South Florida. This weekend's cup race is named in honor of Kevin Harvick, the forever 400. So we'll count down the top four moments of his storied career on today's show. Also, Kim Kuhn will chat with Riley Herbst coming off his first win in the NASCAR Xfinity Series Saturday at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Ben Rhodes is going to stop by. We talk about the trucks and what they've got going on, their elimination race on Saturday. Ben's going to spend some time with our Jason Toy. Plus, we'll guide you through the history of Homestead Miami Speedway and a whole lot more but first kyle ricky is here with a check of the latest headlines in nascar kyle mike after previously disqualifying ryan blaney following sunday's race at the las vegas motor speedway for a shock violation nascar has rescinded its decision nascar found an issue with its inspection process monday morning during its weekend debrief and discovered an issue with the damper template used for the inspection They then conducted a detailed investigation and have restored the team's stage and race finishing positions. Blaney is one of eight drivers still active in the playoffs and sits 17 points behind the cutoff 
with two races remaining in the round of eight. With 2023 being Kevin Harvick's final season as a NASCAR Cup Series driver, the closer has enjoyed a number of heartfelt tributes in his illustrious career. Sunday's NASCAR Cup Series race at the Homestead Miami Speedway will serve as another. Budweiser, the brand Harvick took to the 2014 NASCAR Cup Series championship when he clinched the title at Homestead, will be back on his car for the Forever 400 presented by Mobile One. Bush Light and his Stuart Haas racing team came together to surprise the former Cup Series champion for his final event at the Speedway. Harvick has been an Anheuser-Busch partner since 2011, with Budweiser serving as his primary sponsor before Bush Light took the wheel in 2016. And Tricon Garage has announced that Toyota development driver and 2023 NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series regular season champion Corey Heim will return to the organization for another season. Mike. Thank you, Kyle. Coming up, we'll count down the top four moments of Kevin Harvick's career. Kyle Larson brings his Chevy four tires to no racing fuel. From fueling NASCAR champions on the track for over 20 years to innovating 94 octane, the highest octane on the market. Performance is what Sunoco does. All Sunoco fuel at the pump meets the same top tier standards as the fuel used in NASCAR. Money's not here for Ryan Blaney. Four tires with Sunoco fuel. From the track to your tank, you can trust Sunoco to help your vehicle perform at its peak. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. It's hard to believe, but the end of the 2023 season is just three weeks away, and the end of the season will also mark the end of Kevin Harvick's Hall of Fame driving career. This weekend at Homestead, the track and sponsor Mobile One are honoring Kevin by naming the race after Kevin, the forever 400 that four being that that's kevin harvick's car number in honor of the occasion kurt becker is here to help us count down the top four moments of kevin harvick's storied career with over 100 wins and multiple championships as a driver and an owner across nascar's top three series kevin harvick boasts such an impressive set of career accomplishments that it seems nearly impossible to narrow that list to just a few select highlights. Yet, here we are. As Harvick is nearing the end of what is certain to be a Hall of Fame career, we take a moment to honor the California native by ranking the top four moments of his career, a number admittedly inspired by the fact he has driven the four car over the last ten seasons. So, where do we start? Let's head back to 2001. Number four. Off the fourth corner for the final time, a dominant performance tonight leading the final 130 laps, his fifth career win, second of the season. Kevin Harvick wins the Outback Steakhouse 300. One final time for Jason Keller to try for the win. He'll go to the inside and will not do it. Kevin Harvick returns to victory lane at the Gateway International Raceway. Here comes Kevin Harvick across the line, picking up the win, his fourth of the year in the NASCAR Bush Series. 2001 was the year that Kevin Harvick burst onto the NASCAR scene. Harvick dominated what was then the NASCAR Bush Series, winning six times and notching 24 top 10 finishes 
in 33 races on the way to winning the championship over series stalwarts Jeff Green and Jason Keller. Making the accomplishment even more impressive was the fact it was only Harvick's second year as a full-time driver in the series, and it came in a year when he also moved full-time into the Cup Series after the untimely death of the legendary Dale Earnhardt. While that accomplishment for Harvick was significant, there are three moments from Harvick's Cup Series career that eclipse that championship. Number three. Mark Martin brings the field to the back straightaway. Everybody in single file, the front two, front three cars. Here's Kyle Busch to the outside, to the inside. Martin throws the block. Busch slams into Harvick. Harvick's up the outside. Harvick's looking for the win. Here comes Kevin Harvick. He draws even with Mark Martin side by side for the race lead and for the win. Martin down low. Kevin Harvick wheel to wheel. Busch spins off turn four. Bush spins, Matt Kenseth spins, but here comes the race to the Daytona 500 victory at the stripe. Kevin Harvick gets it by inches, comes out of nowhere, and Kevin Harvick is the 2007 Daytona 500 winner. Winning the sport's biggest race has to be a part of any driver's list of top accomplishments, and Kevin Harvick did just that in February of 2007. That victory in the great American race by inches over Mark Martin is still remembered as one of the best finishes and races in the 75-year history of NASCAR. Even if it was just by two one-hundredths of a second, Kevin Harvick will forever be known as a Daytona 500 winner. What could rank higher than winning that particular race in that fashion? Perhaps a first career cup victory in a race which featured a set of emotions all its own. Number two. Kevin Harvick trying to hold off Jeff Gordon for the win. Gordon is down low. Harvick is up high. Side by side out of four. Harvick trying to hold on. Gordon races to his inside. They touch at the stripe. Kevin Harvick on the outside with a ghost of Dale Earnhardt looking on. Kevin Harvick pulled off one of the all-time upsets in NASCAR history. No accounting of Kevin Harvick's career would be complete without mentioning the Atlanta Motor Speedway, which served as the site of Harvick's first career cup win some 22 years ago. Harvick edged Jeff Gordon by six one-thousandths of a second just three weeks after Dale Earnhardt's untimely passing. That victory and Harvick paying tribute to the Intimidator by extending his left hand above the roof line of his car and displaying three fingers on the way to victory lane remains etched in the minds of many NASCAR fans. The only way to top a moment like that is by capturing Stock Car Racing's biggest title. The white flag goes in the air. A championship awaits one of four drivers. Kevin Harvick right now with the race lead. Ryan Newman giving chase. Harvick to the bottom of the racetrack. Newman, three car length back. He washes up on exit. Harvick gets away by four. For the final time up the back straightaway, they're racing for the win and they're racing for the championship. Kevin Harvick leads the way. Ryan Newman has used it all up. It's Harvick looking for the checkered flag and the title. Kevin Harvick has a five car length lead. He's off turn four, headed to the line. He sees the checkered flag waving. He's the winner of the Ford EcoBoost 400 and he is your 2014 Winning a NASCAR Cup Series championship is impressive in any context, but Harvick's crowning moment in 2014 ranks at the top of his career because of the circumstances which surrounded it, including significant changes for both Harvick and NASCAR. After spending his entire Cup Series career with Richard Childress Racing, Harvick had moved to Stuart Haas Racing following the 2013 season. And just as Harvick was entering 2014 with a new team, so too was NASCAR presenting its all-new knockout playoff format. 
which would culminate with the debut of the championship race. Harvick went into that race as the favorite, but over the closing laps, he had to hold off Ryan Newman, who ironically was driving for Richard Childress Racing to cap a dream season. That win remains the only one of Harvick's career at the Homestead Miami Speedway. This weekend, he returns to the track one final time. And if Harvick wins the race that is named in his honor, the forever 400, it could make for a moment that will arguably deserve to be ranked among the greatest of his career. Thank you, Kurt. And also a huge thank you to our friends over at the Performance Racing Network for their help on that piece. Congratulations to them as they wrapped up another great season this past weekend at Las Vegas. We at MRN will take over for the final three races of the season starting this weekend in South Florida. From outdoor care to home and auto repair, do it with Craftsman. Find the tools, equipment, and storage you need at your local Lowe's, Ace Hardware, or Craftsman.com. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We continue on this week's NASCAR Live. We've been waiting for this moment now for a while. Riley Herbst, we've been waiting for him to score his breakthrough win in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, and that happened over the weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and he did it in grand fashion. The margin of victory alone, almost 15 seconds, and his first win came at his home racetrack, the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Our Kim Kuhn sat down with Riley to discuss his huge day this past weekend. Congrats on the Vegas win. Uh, what's the last few days been like for you? Um, it was been pretty hectic. I was a little foggy when I saw you at the airport. Uh, we we celebrated a lot on Saturday night. So um, it was a lot of fun with my family and friends. But um, now back in Charlotte, obviously getting ready to work and um, ready to go to Homestead. I know you've been searching for that first Xfinity Series win for a while, but did getting it done in your hometown make it kind of worth that wait? Uh, the wait was long, but I definitely would do it again for all the emotions and everything I felt um, that those few hours. It was it was crazy and it was very surreal. So uh, I want to feel that again. So hopefully we can work really hard and try to get to victory lane again soon. Everybody talks about their first win, kind of getting this huge weight lifted from their shoulders. Does it feel like that to you? Does it feel like this opens the door quickly for more wins? Kind of what's the outlook? I think it just opens the door for so many more opportunities. Um, it's just, it was a really good time. Obviously, I kind of wish it was earlier. So um, I was in the playoffs, but it was a really good time in my career um, in negotiations and contracts and sponsor talks. So um, it couldn't have happened at a better time. And I, I felt like it's waited so much off my shoulders. It's been weighing on my shoulders for two to three years now. And um, I was getting pretty anxious. So finally it happened and it uh, felt really good. It happened and it was in a dominating fashion. You led so many laps and then won by almost 15 seconds. But what was going through your mind in the closing laps? Like, were you praying for no caution? What were you thinking in that moment? I really wasn't. Um, Cause deep down, I kind of expected a caution um, just cause a hundred green flag laps in the Xfinity series is kind of rare. So um, I figured one was coming. 
Um, I was just trying to control what I could control, and that's my car. Um, hit my marks as best as I could, be disciplined, and if there was a caution, we'd come down, get four new tires, and um, just race them straight up towards the end. So that was kind of my outlook, but once I saw the white flag, I was like, oh my goodness, we just won 100 green flag laps. I didn't really think that was possible, um, and I'm just going to win this Xfinity race in my hometown. So that was pretty cool once I took the white. Um, but yeah, I really wasn't too worried about a caution because I figured one was coming. You had said that this season was a little bit of a disappointment because you guys did miss making the playoffs. Does this win change your opinion on this season for you? Absolutely. Um, I think I told you after Kansas when we missed the playoffs, um, my original goal in February at Daytona was to win a race, um, become a better race car driver. And I felt like I've became a better race car driver since the February Daytona. Um, and now we've won a race as well. So I think all in all this year was a success. Ultimately, we'd like to be racing in Phoenix for the big championship, but um, you can't have everything. For the next three races, what's the focus for the team? How much of it is let's try and win again versus putting an emphasis on next season and building for the future? I think the biggest thing is like, tidying everything up, making everything smoother, um, making sure the ship's running on full steam, uh, get the guys where we want them for next year um, so we can come out of the gates next year strong and be in Phoenix for a championship and racing for the big trophy. And it wasn't announced last week that you'll return to SHR. Why was that the right move for you? There was a lot of different opportunities I could have done from different organizations in Xfinity Series or Cup Racings, but I just felt like the consistency um, at SHR. We were at really low points in the midsummer with like eight DNFs in a row, uh, mechanical failures, everything, driver mistakes. So I knew sooner or later that the, the highs were going to be high um, if we just stuck it out long enough. And I was really excited to work with Davin again next year. So um, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, and I knew we had to put in the work to get the results. So that's kind of why we stuck with SHR. After your recent cup run at Talladega, there were a lot of veteran cup drivers who were extremely complimentary of your performance. How seriously do you take comments like that? And if you do take them seriously, what does it mean to you to hear them talk about you in such a good light? It means a tremendous amount um, because like the last thing you want to do is be an Xfinity guy um, at the time with no wins going into the cup garage and making a, a fool yourself or making a bad name for yourself. So um, I was just going to Talladega to mind my manners, learn as much as I can, and then to come out with a shot at the win and have Blaney and Kevin Harvick say really good things about me just meant the world. Um, so I just try to put myself in the best position I could at Talladega, and um, I felt like we did that. As we look to the end of the season, both on the Xfinity Series side and the Cup side, uh, Kevin Harvick is closing up his Cup Series career. What impact has he had on you and your career? A lot lately um, with signing with KHI. He was one of the first pre people to victory lane this weekend in Vegas. So um, he's helped me tremendously on and off the racetrack. And it's just so cool to be teammates with a childhood hero and have somebody I can call um, and just ask questions to. So that, that really means the world. Thank you, Kim. Coming up, Jason Toy will chat with 2021 NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series champion Ben Rhodes. Wheelan Engineering, a global leader in the emergency warning industry, designs and manufactures reliable and powerful warning lights, white illumination lighting, sirens, controllers and warning systems for the automotive, aviation and mass notification industries worldwide. Wheelan products are designed, sourced and manufactured in America and tested on site to meet the toughest industry standards. Wheelan Engineering, manufactured in America for over 70 years. We never left and we're here to stay. This is NASCAR Live. 
Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. While the NASCAR Cup and Xfinity Series playoff drivers have two chances remaining to lock into the championship four, this weekend, this is it for the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. Following Saturday's Baptist Health 200, we'll know the four drivers who will race for the 2023 NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series Championship. One driver who has some work to do to get in is Ben Rhodes of Thor Sport Racing. Ben joined our Jason Toy to discuss what it will take to make up the deficit that stands between him and another chance to run for a championship. Off turn four, checkered flag in the air, the 2021 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series champion from Louisville, Kentucky, Ben Rhodes picks up the championship. He is, for the first time in his career, a champion in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. All right, let's talk about this. You're in a in a, the thick of a championship hunt. You're getting ready to go to Homestead Miami Speedway, a track I know you you like. What's it going to take to get the job done this week? Really, just no, no no mistakes, perfection, really. We have to be in front of, there's there's three trucks we really have to be in front of all day long. So we're going to have our eyes on those trucks. We're going to keep up with their race. But for me, I mean, running my own race and, and, and qualifying up front, winning a, a stage one, I mean, that would be huge. If you look back at last year, we were in this the same situation pretty much. We came in just below the cut line and... We started on the pole, just the metric. Uh, qualifying was being rained out. So we start on the pole. Wow, huge blessing there, right? And then we win stage one. Okay, so there's 10 points. And then by the end of the race, I think we're, I don't know, running like seven and something like that. And we end up getting in by one point, right? And then at Phoenix, you know, we almost win the darn thing and we end up finishing second. So you just never know with this playoff format. It's so crazy all the time. Is this this run in 2023 any different than last year or the year you won <laughs> no <laughs> that's the crazy <laughs> part right i wish it was i wish i could say wow you know this is this is a year where we locked ourselves in early and it would be a, a huge luxury but year over year i'm i'm getting in um just by fighting tooth and nail every single week you know we're one point here two points there tiebreaker here and i Honestly, I think that is an advantage when you finally get to Phoenix. If so, you let's say you win early on, okay, in this round, now you've got these next two races and you're just kind of chilling out. I don't know if that's exactly good. We're we're right in the thick of it. Every single race right now is Phoenix, right? And if you win early on and you've got this great luxury, but what are you doing? You're not you're not in the thick of it. You're not racing Phoenix every single week. So when we show up to Phoenix, if we make it into the final four, well, then we're we're we've done this. We've done this many times now. So I can't say that myself, my crew chief, my team, any of us are nervous. Uh, we're just ready to go. This is what we do. What's the the challenge that uh, that Homestead Miami Speedway gives you? You know, we've seen over the years through transitions of this racetrack and going from you know virtually almost flat to banked over the years, and now it seems like that best line is right up against that wall out there. What challenge does this track give you? Yeah, so that's the funny thing, right? Is year over year we're seeing almost a different race, and I don't know if that's specifically just different tires that we have over each year. Uh, also, you know, we went from built motors in 2017 to you know these sealed Ilmore engines in 2018 and that changed the racing at Homestead drastically probably more than any other racetrack and it hasn't exactly done what anybody really predicted if you look at last year the way that Ty Majeski won the race uh versus Austin Hill year year two before running the bottom it's just there seems to be no rhyme or reason you can win it on the bottom you can win it on the top it's just finding that magic combination of your setup with your crew chief so my crew chief and I we've got a truck that's been purpose-built for this track now 
Uh, a lot of R&D went into this truck, the same with my teammate Ty. Um, but we've, we've got a lot of support from Ford here recently. We've pretty much built out a, a specific package just for this track. Uh, and my crew chief and I both believe that this is, you know, probably the best truck that I'm ever gonna drive or ever have driven to this point. Like we're loaded and we're ready to go. You talked about your crew chief and, uh, and Rich Luscious. You guys got teamed back up again a couple of weeks ago, and obviously he was your crew chief on the championship run a couple of years ago too. So how nice has it been to get back with a familiar face and a familiar voice in your ear? Yeah, it's good. You know, right now it's crunch time, right? And he, he just has experience and in, in this heat of battle uh, that I think all the guys can lean on. Um, and, and it's been good knowing that that's in our back pocket, that experience that we can lean on because it has been so incredibly tight this year. And it, it's like that every year, right? But Rich and I have that experience together and we've done it before. So we know how to operate with one another to make it happen again. There's no unfamiliar processes. There's no nothing unfamiliar that's gonna throw a loop for us in the playoffs. Everything is known. And when you have stuff that's known like that, it just makes the job that much more predictable and, and easy. Ben Rhodes is bright orange F-150 to the bottom of the racetrack this time through three and four, looking for that checkered flag. Ben Rhodes all by himself off turn number four. The Ford drought is over. Ben Rhodes goes to victory lane for the first time this season. He wins the North Carolina Education Lottery 200. It's hard to believe that, uh, you know, you go back to February, we started off the season, we're getting close to the end final two races for you guys here this season and it i would say you know get that standard question of okay how do you assess your season well obviously you had ups you had downs but you're in a championship contention right now to me it seems like the competition level and you got a lot of young drivers you got some good competition level now in this series oh it's it's i mean it's amazing competition really uh there's not one guy that is in this championship hunt that couldn't win the championship. I mean, it's it's anybody's race at this point. So, I, you know, I don't know if there really is a favorite. Some people may have favorites just based off emotional bias, but I think if you actually look, sit down and look at it all, I don't know if there is a favorite. Everybody's really, really good. Every team is really, really good. And that all stems from not only just the truck series itself just growing naturally, but the, the motors that we have now that have tightened the field up, the bodies that have tightened the field up and just the general lack of, I guess, changes in the truck series. Like the truck series has put on really good racing for a long time. And because of that, we've all developed the same way. We're getting closer and closer to each other, just purely off development. So it just means the racing's getting incredibly tight. And then of course, you've just got really good drivers that are in it now too. My competition is, is incredible. So um, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I, I came into the truck series in 2016 and not knocking 2016, but it just seems way harder now <laughs> than it was back then to get a race, you know? So I'm, uh, I love where I'm at in truck series. It's been great, but uh, a lot of great drivers here. All right, last question. Ben Rhodes is here with us, getting ready to head down the Homestead Miami Speedway this weekend. And, you know, you talked about you got three drivers you got to kind of keep an eye on throughout this race. How much of that do you want relayed to you while you're in that driver compartment here during that race this week. And I know you're focused, you want to win the race, but how much are you, how much do you want to hear about that? Yeah, my, my, so having done this now a few times, I kind of got a standard that I go about this. Uh, I know who those three individuals are and I keep my eye on them for the first two stages. And I just worry about doing my job and then whatever happens to them, happens to them. Now, after the second stage, the points have been awarded. Now, 
it's a pretty clear objective what needs to be done. There's only one more thing that has to happen, that's the checkered flag. So after the second stage, I always ask for an update, and then I tell them to keep me updated as the race goes on so I know where I'm at, what I have to do. Because let's face it, if I'm five, ten points ahead, I can I need to be cautious. You're right, I gotta protect myself. I cannot get wrecked or I'm out. But if I'm five points behind, I've got to be as aggressive as ever and I have to get every single position possible. So it's a, you know, it's a totally different race from the first two stages to the final two stages. And I'll ask for my updates later. Thank you, Jason. Coming up, Susie Armstrong will take us through the history of Homestead Miami Speedway. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. We are headed to South Florida and the Homestead Miami Speedway this weekend. And if you poll the NASCAR garage on what their favorite track is, Homestead would likely be near the top of the list. The track has been a staple on the Cup Series schedule since 1999, but got its start even before that. Susie Armstrong takes us on a trip down Homestead memory lane. Homestead Miami Speedway has evolved over the years, making it one of NASCAR's most anticipated weekends. In August of 1993, construction of the Florida Speedway began exactly one year after Hurricane Andrew as a part of a plan to revitalize the area following the devastation. In November of 1995, the track made its debut, hosting a NASCAR Busch Grand National Series season finale. Here's the battle for the lead. They're still stacked up double wide. Sadler gets turned sideways. Wallace goes to the top of the racetrack, and Pearson slams the outside wall. Meanwhile, Dale Jarrett moves by with the lead. Here comes Dale Jarrett down to the white and caution flags. Dale Jarrett off of turn number four is going to win the Jiffy Lube Miami 300 after the front three cars crash in turn number three, racing back to the white flag. Well, it's a great facility they've built here, and I think that it'll just get better as time goes on as we get some rubber down and maybe a little more than one groove. The NASCAR Xfinity Series would continue to have its finale at the Speedway for several years. The following March, the dawn of the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series season was met with sunny skies for its maiden voyage at Homestead. The Florida Dodge Dealers 400 had a star-studded lineup including Dale Earnhardt Sr., Terry Labonte, Bill Elliott, and Dale Jarrett. The entry list was impressive, but the finish was even better. Traffic goes low. Resendez goes high. Off turn two, almost into the wall. Standing on that gas down the back chute. Resendez hangs on with authority as they now come down the back stretch. Resendez zigzagging. Hornaday to the inside. Hornaday to the outside. They touch. Resendez now will lose the lead. Hornaday drifts wide in the corner. Resendez is sideways. It's three wide. Hornaday's in the wall. Resendez hangs on. He will get the lead. Some spectacular moves on the final lap here coming off turn four. Dave Resendez has the lead. Jack Sprague's in a tie one last time. Sprague spins down low. They make contact. Resendez goes sideways across the line. Jack Sprague spins across the start-finish line. 
But Dave Resendez, what a spectacular last lap. He's going to win the Florida Dodge Dealers 400. Jack Spray comes across in the second spot. Even though the clash provided an exciting ending, track pioneers weren't exactly happy with the current layout. The property had opened as a four-turned rectangular oval based on Indianapolis Motor Speedway's layout. Due to the shorter distance, however, the track was unable to maintain the characteristics of IMS. In 1997, an $8.2 million reconfiguration project changed the rectangle to a traditional oval. Following the reconstruction, the NASCAR Cup Series made its debut in 1999. Here comes Tony Stewart off turn number four down to the start-finish line to win the Pennzoil 400, doing what no other NASCAR Winston Cup rookie has ever done, winning three races in his rookie season. He'll win the Ray Best of Rookie Honors and posting his third win of the year. Tony Stewart would prove to be the man to beat at the redesigned oval as he claimed the checkers in the first two Cup Series events. Following a handful of successful races, NASCAR decided to make Homestead Miami Speedway the season finale. The facility received new pavement in 2003 that transitioned the mostly flat turns into steeper corners with variable banking. Homestead evolved once again in 2005 as lights were installed to allow night racing for the first time. The renovations were highly praised as it led to a number of close cup series finishes, including the 2005 Ford 400. Mark Martin has gone to the whip. He's got the whole shot on the bottom of the racetrack if he can make it stick. Martin down low. Greg Biffle up high. The final lap for the win. What an unbelievable finish to the 2005 NASCAR Nextel Cup Series season. Mark Martin, Greg Biffle bang on each other in turn three. Biffle to the high side. Martin to the low side. Side by side for the lead and the win at Two Fords side-by-side side for the win in the Ford 400. Here they come down to the line. The edge, Greg Biffle by inches. That is unofficial. We'll have to wait to see what NASCAR says. It looks like, indeed, Biffle is going to be the winner of the Ford 400. Biffle would go on to win at Homestead for a third straight time in 2006, the only driver to win three in a row at the track. Another competitor with three wins on the oval is Tony Stewart, who in 2011 put on an iconic performance to conclude the season. One of the greatest championship drives in NASCAR history. Less than a mile away from completion, Tony Stewart off turn two for the final time at Homestead. Here's Tony Stewart at the entrance of turn number three, putting a punctuation mark on the dramatic chase performance in 2011. Tony Stewart is off turn four. And not won a race throughout the season until the chase began, and now he's won five, and he's won the Ford 400, and he's won the NASCAR Sprint Cup Series Championship. Tony Stewart comes across the line victorious tonight in South Florida. Homestead Miami Speedway would serve as NASCAR's championship weekend up until 2019. The weekend is still a vital part of the NASCAR playoffs for all three national series, including the round of eight cutoff for the Craftsman Truck Series and the second-to-last opportunity for Xfinity and Cup Series drivers to punch their ticket to the championship four in Phoenix. One thing is for certain, Homestead Miami Speedway has played an important role in NASCAR's modern era. This weekend, as we head to South Beach, another iconic moment may be written into NASCAR history. Thank you, Susie. The history of Homestead Miami Speedway was brought to you by Whelan Engineering. Whelan Engineering, a global leader in the emergency warning industry, has been manufacturing in America for over 70 years. We never left, and we're here to stay. Coming up, we'll chat with Alan Gustafson of Hendrick Motorsports. 
This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. We know the eight drivers who are still alive for the Cup Series championship. But there's one other team that could throw a wrench into things. On the owner's side, the Hendrick Motorsports number 9 team is still alive in the owner's championship. And thanks to a consistent run through the playoffs, they had the opportunity to lock up the owner's title for HMS. It's been a rough day of sledding lately. And Las Vegas, well, that set them back. But a win for Chase Elliott could change it all. The crew chief for the number 9 team, Alan Gustafson, joins Steve Post and Todd Gordon to discuss the wild year for his team and still being alive for that owner's title. Rolling along, you're in your own playoff battle as far as the owner's points go. And uh, up until Vegas, you had things rolling along well, kind of stubbed your toe there a little bit. But but big picture, how are things going with the nine team, and where are you guys at with that? Yeah, I mean, certainly our performance has been better. Licking our wounds from Vegas, that was, uh, you know, a disappointing performance at, at, at best. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll focus forward and, and try to learn from what went on at Vegas and, and improve for Homestead. I uh, certainly love racing at Homestead and going to South Florida is always fun. So, yeah, looking forward to that. So you're in the owner's championship, and I want to make a point on this, but I think up till Vegas, top 10 finishes every playoff race. Uh, the round of 12, you were the second highest uh, points uh, gatherer behind your teammate who finished first, second, second. But uh, um, it's been impressive, the run you've been on. For For the fans, they really don't. I don't think they grasp the owner's championship piece and, and how important it is. Everybody gets the driver's championship, but from the team side, it's a huge piece, right? Yeah, it's 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 just an odd thing. I mean, ultimately, the owners is really what matters. <laughs> that's what you get paid off of, and that's what all the the you know they park the trucks in the garage and the points and everything is based off owners. But I certainly think from the media perspective, uh, there's initiative for the driver's piece to be the pinnacle. So um, there's the divide. I feel like, you know, the industry and racing is, is ultimately done off the owners and, and, you know, the financial side of it. And then the, the uh, public relations side of it and, 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 you know, the entertainment side is focused on the drivers for whatever reason. So it does make it confusing, but uh, really ultimately, um, you know, the drivers or, or sorry, the owners is, is, is what for us at least is, is what is comparable to our competition um and you know and if you go drivers with chase obviously seven races short so um yeah when we've been been you know happy with our improvement and certainly trying to get to victory lanes a big deal and making it through these rounds and and uh i hate to be talking to you guys after a sour note of of vegas and and uh you know unfortunately in this business it's you're only as good as your last week and and you know we had a terrible last week so you feel bad about that but i think overall uh, through the chase, the the performance has been an uptick. Yeah, yeah, I, I I've been I've been thoroughly impressed. I put the numbers back together as we made the transition into the round of eight, and uh, it was incredible. And people were discounting, but the the you guys are back to what I feel like the nine team was pre uh, pre accident there with a uh, with with the snowboarding piece. Um, talk about the challenges of Chase being out for several races. 
having a, a having to kind of acclimate to other drivers. I thought the guys that came in, uh, Jordan Taylor and and uh, and Josh, um, you know, did a great job. But talk about the challenges that does, and then the challenges of getting yourself and you and Chase and and that program back to your championship form. It's it's not just insert driver back. You you kind of have to make up for some lost time, don't you? Yeah, I think. Um... You know, it's like anything else, like, you know, if you're going to be good at something, it's it's about consistent repetition and consistent improvement and consistent time. And um, when when Chase isn't in the car racing himself and we're not communicating about the car or the state of current events or the team on a regular basis, it's not that we weren't talking, but it's just not as uh you know, frequent or is, 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 as poignant as you normally would have, uh, you get behind, uh, and, and then you have to kind of make up for that. And it was really interesting to me. You just don't really, until you go through it, you can never understand the magnitude. And then ultimately we go through the circumstances and then, um, you know, getting him back in the car, but really was the big tell to me was then get it, getting back to races that we are running a second time that he had, had raced the first time. Right. So like, when you go back to these races the second time and either if Josh had driven um, in Vegas was a great example, like we just wouldn't have much to go on, right? You didn't have Chase's feedback. You didn't have Chase's information. And we really were better off, you know, basing our, you know, our improvement and our adjustments on William or Kyle or Alex. Um, because at that point in time, Josh had never driven a, a, a you know, next gen car. So when we really started going back to races that Chase had run the first race and the second race, it was really apparent to me how much further we were ahead going back into those races the second time. And, and you just can't, uh, um, you know, we tried our best. We, we want you want to account for him being gone and you want to, uh, you know, make sure that you, you don't miss a beat. And, and it's just, it's a difficult thing to do. So um, it's, it's nice now getting back to the point of, of, of things flowing and, and feeling like we're back on equal terms to where we should be. The dynamic at Hendrick Motorsports, as we look at it now, uh, from a driver's perspective, you got one in the final four. Uh, we got Rudy and William trying to get in, and you're trying to get into the owner's championship. What's the dynamic like with all of those moving parts and pieces and three of the four teams still really racing for a championship? Yeah, it's great. I mean, I, the, the the teamwork, the cohesiveness, um as an organization, I've been here for a long time. It's, it's never been as good as it is now. There's never been uh, a group of crew chiefs and teams that are, are more cohesive and working together for collective strength than we've had. And I think that shows in the performance. And certainly everybody's ex- super excited about getting Kyle in. And, and it's a great thing for all of us. And it gives us an opportunity you know, to to uh, focus on getting, you know, the 24 in and, and getting us in in the owner's points and, and working through it. And so, um, yeah, it's it's fun. It's a fun time, you know, when you go through your career, there's times that you're really not racing for anything, you know, you, you know, and that's tough. And, and we're super fortunate here that there's really not a week that we're not racing to win or to win a championship or, or, or uh, you know, something of very significant uh accomplishment some some very significant record or whatever so it's just i feel super fortunate to be a part of that and it's an amazing thing to to work at a place that uh you know mr hendrick sets the tone for and 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 and, uh we have a a great amount of people 
that, uh, yeah, want to work together, accomplish great things. You can hear more from Alan with Todd and Steve when MRN Crew Call drops tomorrow on MRN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to podcasts. Coming up, we'll flash back to the 2000 Pennzoil 400 at Homestead. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We're about to wave the checkered flag on this week's NASCAR Live. Before we do, let's take a step into the MRN time machine and dial up November 12, 2000 and the Pennzoil 400 at Homestead. In line to make it his best finish. He's running 10th right now. Dave Blaney, who finished 8th last week at Phoenix International Raceway, has shown 9th right now. So real close to uh, what he did last week. So two weeks in a row, great runs for him. Also, Brett Bodine, this would be his best finish of the year, running 14th here in the closing laps of the race. Kurt Busch, who, of course, will be one of the rookies going into next season, running 19th in the closing laps of the race. So a couple of guys uh, really making themselves look pretty good here the second last race of the year. And a lot of drivers, in case you joined our broadcast a little bit late and wondering who might be out of the event, Darrell Walter parked it at lap 94. John Andretti went out a little bit earlier than he did. John will finish 37th. Stacy Compton has been in and out of the garage. He has completed only 58 laps of the event. Looks like he's going to run 38th. Ward Burton will be finishing 39th. Ward has parked his car due to an accident. Mike Bliss, Jeffrey Bodine, Andy Houston, and Scott Pruitt. All those cars behind the wall. Seven to go. Here goes the leader now. Off turn number two. Tony Stewart hits the back straight away. Just as he gets about halfway down the length of the back stretch, here comes Jeremy Mayfield exiting turn number two. Separation now just over four seconds among the front two. Tony Stewart makes a good run through the corner. Car starting to wash up a little bit, just probably not pushing it, not trying to heat those tires up any more than he has to in the closing laps of the race. He's across the line. There are six to go. Here comes Mayfield now crossing the line. The separation as they finish this lap is now still 4.4 seconds. They're in turn one. Tony Stewart comes back to the corner. That is him coming by me in turn number two, waiting for Jeremy Mayfield to come by as well. And that is Jeremy Mayfield. That's the distance of the lead now as Tony Stewart heads to three. This time, Stewart not all alone on the racetrack, only because he's got the lap car of Ken Schrader straight ahead. A little better than a half a straightaway lead for the leader right now, Tony Stewart, as he continues to move away from Jeremy Mayfield. Mark Martin hangs onto that third spot. Here comes Tony Stewart back down to the line. Five laps to go for Tony. Traffic not going to be much of a factor for him in the final laps as he goes over to turn two. Got some clear race track. He's just put a lap on Ken Schrader. So now there are three lap cars between Tony Stewart and Jeremy Mayfield. Although now here's Mayfield on the move, trying to bypass Michael Waltrip. He'll be successful in doing that off of turn two and onto the back stretch. Keeping an eye on the race leader, Tony Stewart, in the same old effortless fashion, he works his way back through turn number four. Bad luck continues to plague Ricky Rudd. He just lost the fourth position, is falling back quickly. When he passed us here at the start-finish line on the last lap, the engine sounded sour. Something may be wrong with Ricky Rudd's Texaco Havilland Ford. Let's follow him now as he comes up off turn four, back to the start-finish line. Bobby Labonte flew by him. Indeed, Ricky is pulling over, dropping to the inside, even letting the lap traffic pass him. Let's check down with Jim Phillips and see if there's a report. Indeed, that's the problem. Uh, the engine runs sour on Ricky Rudd. He's just going to try to nurse it home, and Michael McSwain looks down, and all he can do is 
shake his head. And Jimmy Spencer is closing in on Ricky Rudd over in the backstretch and going to take another spot away from him. Ricky currently is riding in fifth. Let's see what happens over there in turn three. They go door to door, but only for a moment, although Spencer is going to wash wide and leave room for Rudd down low. Rudd plugs it back down to the inside lane, pulls back out in front at least momentarily. Once they hit the front straightaway, here's Spencer pouring on the steam. Ricky just pulls over, lets him flash on by. So Ricky Rudd's bad luck continues. Even if he had kept the top spot, this may have happened. And once it maybe it doesn't hurt quite as bad when when the car breaks a little closer uh, in a situation where you don't have a chance to win uh, in comparison to the way it has earlier this year when he had the uh, the caution flag late in the race at Charlotte and then the crash last week at Phoenix. Absolutely unreal. The luck that Ricky Rudd has had in the year and, and whether you believe in luck or whether you don't, you almost have to attribute it to that. Ricky Rudd just has been so close to winning all season long. As we said a little bit ago, he has had 12 top five finishes. He's run second a couple of times, but he just can't seem to get that win. Here's Ricky across the line, works his way back into turn number one while Tony Stewart, the leader, is in the middle of the backstretch. Here comes Stewart now again racing back into turn number three. Pretty much by himself here. Plenty of open racetrack ahead of him as he moves off the corner. Tony Stewart about to come off turn number four, looking for the white flag with one lap to settle the Pennzoil 500. He has had an absolute unreal day as far as the way that car has worked. White flag for Tony. No traffic ahead that he's going to catch before he gets back to the checkered flag as he goes over to turn two. Final time, he comes back into turn one. Car glued down to the bottom of the racetrack. Capping an incredible performance here this afternoon is Tony Stewart swinging wide off of third two and down the back straightaway. A championship season for Bobby Labonte, but a sensational afternoon for Tony Stewart, who for the final time comes off the end of the back stretch and heads for turn four. What kind of statement does this make for Joe Gibbs Racing? His driver, one of his drivers, is going to win the race. The other is going to win the NASCAR Winston Cup championship. Here comes Tony Stewart off the line. It'll be his sixth NASCAR Winston Cup win of the year as he scores the victory, crossing the start-finish line in the Pennzoil 400. You can catch that race in its entirety at MRN.com under the MRN Classic Races tab or on any of your preferred podcast platforms. I'd like to thank Riley Herps for joining us on today's show. Also, our thanks to Ben Rhodes and Alan Gustafson for joining us as well. I'm Mike Bagley, and for the rest of the MRN crew, thanks for being a part of this week's show as well. Don't forget NASCAR Live Wide Open drops on Thursday. We'll have NASCAR Live Race Day from Homestead, 1.30 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. And we're back with NASCAR Live Tuesday next week, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Until then, so long, everybody. NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and was brought to you by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. Today's broadcast was produced by Trey Downey, Pat Jaggers, and Julian Council. The executive producer for MRN is Ryan Horn. Remember to visit MRN.com for all of the latest news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts and descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network.